Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings so we can remind you that you are not alone. Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories and experiences about navigating mental health and life in general. The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. I know. I always feel like I have to sing during this portion, but I don't know why. (laughs) We should should work on a duet. Jingle. Oh, my gosh. If anyone wants to write a jingle for us, let us know. Oh my goodness. That was amazing. I, I sent Carly a video this morning that was like, yes. your boss is your best friend. And it was this video of this like choreographed dance. So amazing. We got to work on we it. got to practice. <laughs> oh, that was good. Anyway, hope you yes. guys are doing great. We are back for yet another taboo topic Tuesday. Um, We've mentioned in the other episodes, we're doing a little different, um, doing things a little different this month because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And Becca and I wanted to really highlight just a few different mental health related topics that may kind of be like forgotten or not talked about enough or talked about with like a small, you know, a small lens and avoided or whatever. So we wanted to kind of ruffle, ruffle some feathers a little bit and talk about some harder topics, I guess. Right, Beth? Right. Like it's, um, you know, I mean, uh, all the things. Yes, clearly I am on, on fire today, but yeah, it's, you know, it's important because I think there's so much shame and yeah. um, fear associated with what, especially with people who have mental health um, conditions that it's good to just, you know, get these out there. Cause there's yeah, no let's talk about any it. Of it. No shame in any of it. No shame in our game here. No shame in our game. Awesome. Well, before we talk about our topic, do we want to check in and then we'll tell everyone the topic of the day? Yeah. Cool. How are you? Oh, okay. I, um, I'm okay. I'm a little bit like all over the place today. I was like crying a little while ago. I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm just like all over the place. The story of my life. I know. Right. And, um, I mean, welcome to the story of individuals living with mental health conditions. Yes, we were crying a little while ago and now we're here. And it's not like, you know, the, what we say, you know, is that like when we have serious mental illness, that's like not function. It's about functioning, you know, like I'm still functioning. I just had a cry. You just had a moment where you needed to let some tears out. Right. So I'm okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I said happy Tuesday in the beginning, but it's actually Sunday. 
So mm. <laughs> I am enjoying uh, just kind of taking it easy today. So yeah, that's good. Now that I'm back from Florida. Mm. Welcome back, by the way, dude. Ugh. You're you're a Floridian. I know. I, I love it. I, I I mean, well, I won't go into <laughs> what I don't like about Florida. But yes, yeah. Well, I'm glad I that you're absolutely back. love. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad that you're back. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm also taking it easy. It was a nice weekend this weekend. My um my wife and I got to go out on like a little date last night, which was nice. Oh, I we saw on Instagram. Yeah, we don't often get a lot of date nights out with all of our kids. So it was nice to kind of go out and just focus on each other and have fun and um, just relax a little bit. And then today we're just going, I'm going to my family's house for dinner. So that will be fun. So it's just a low key, like fun, relaxing weekend. I've been super stressed lately. So yeah. this has just been a nice, like, like joy filled, like soul filling weekend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, good. It's been sure. needed. Yeah. So I'm good. I'm crushing it. Awesome. Yeah. Crushing it. Crushing it. And I'm drinking like all the coffee. So cheers. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds like a normal weekend, you know, yeah. like normalcy. Yeah. Been not a thing for so long. Yeah. It's been cool. It's been and cool. The world be is, yeah. Do that as the world is now moving more towards some semblance of normalcy. I know, I know. I want to talk be... about it. I'm feeling super anxious about it. I'll just oh. like. <laughs> A lot of people are. I'm sure you're not alone in that. Yeah. So Taboo Topic Tuesday. Yes, girl. What are we talking about today? So, you know, our previous topics, trauma and suicide are taboo, I think, because they're hard to talk about, you know, they're, they're filled with a lot of pain and, you know, some of the most severe things that occur with mental health conditions. But to today, our topic, I think is one of the topics that people least want to talk about because of all the things that go along with it. And that mm -hmm. is intimacy. I think that people, even without mental health conditions, you know, yeah, of course. Talk about intimacy. I mean, we're we're taught from like a younger age that like we don't discuss that with other people, or it's not a topic of conversation. It's not we don't talk about intimacy or sex related things or whatever mm -hmm. to anyone. It's very private, right? So with that, like we've grown up with this idea that like why is it like it's private because why? Like right. that whole discussion is. We don't like, we don't ever talk about it. It's taboo. Right. Exactly. Um, so we need to talk about it though. Because yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing and it's something that, you know, is greatly affected um, when people are living with mental health conditions yep. and as also just part of growing up mm -hmm. and, um, and, and it's something that can affect like it's not something just that like people with mental health conditions experience but I think it can affect mental health conditions and yeah I understand that and it also impacts like the partners and part you know partner right. partners of people living with mental health conditions too like it's not just a one you know one person challenge 
Right. Well, intimacy, I guess, in of itself, like in of the definition of intimacy is like a person, it's a personal connection, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess you can be, you can be intimate with yourself, you know, but. uh, Yes, you can. Yeah. Yes, you sure can. (laughs) And that, I mean, that is, that is healthy. That's a healthy thing to explore. And that can also be impacted by mental illness. Right. So I think that there's so many different levels to this conversation. I think we should come kind of one by one. Yeah, let's do it. Um, So I think that, um, well, let's just begin by saying, you know, by talking about how when somebody has a mental health condition, like Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, um, you know, PTSD, PTSD, mania so like bipolar disorder yeah for me like my I've disordered eating mm-hmm. so I have a lot of like body dysmorphic like dysmorphics dysmorphia symptoms that right. really have impacted my intimacy in the past right and like I think also when we talk about intimacy like there are different levels in terms of like we're talking about sex Mm-hmm. Um, but also just intimacy relationships, relationships and how mm-hmm. one can right. feel vulnerable. Right? right. So I think that, uh, let's just dig into sex. Sure. Let's talk about <laughs> sex. And the, I don't know. <laughs> let's talk about you and me. I feel like that, that song had to come out. Like you had, yeah. you had to say it. You know what? There's a, when I was in like fourth grade, these like seniors were doing this project and they came to our class and like mm-hmm. they, that song, I guess they were talking about like, I think it was like HIV or something. Mm-hmm. They just played that song and my teachers like had like, they like flipped. <laughs> they're like, you can't. Oh, you can't not talk about sex and not have that song like in the same breath you can't right and for those of you who may not know that is by a group called salt and peppa (laughs) bringing it back bringing it back salt and peppa google them to our younger listeners you will not be disappointed they're the best anyway so let's talk about sex let's talk about sex um so it's Okay. So there's many, there's different things. So there's, there's, like you said, there's body dysmorphic revolving around um, body dysmorphia. I think, um, you know, that goes along with like disordered eating, like you Mm -hmm. said, um, just feelings of anxiety in general and um, PTSD. And also like, I think just media influence um, because like, you know, I mean, look at what is being, what we see all the time in terms Absolutely. of like, the image, this like version of a person that we're supposed to be like, or a version of a person that like is quote unquote sexy or desirable or whatever. Right. And like, you know, I, I saw something recently about like, um, these people that try to like, look like, want to look like Kim Kardashian or, you know, yeah. Kardashians. And it's like, the makeup or whatever, that's not going to do it because mm-hmm. they've had so much work done. They, yeah. I mean, they're, that they're not true. natural bodies and stuff. So anyway, but um, I guess that with like talking about just depression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, let's talk about, first of all, how you feel like both of us have lived with depression, right? Mm-hmm. When we're living with depression, how do we feel? I literally feel like garbage. Don't want to get out of my bed. Don't want to get dressed. Don't want to shower. 
Don't want anyone around me. Don't want to be touched. Don't want to listen to anybody. Like, I feel like I want to wrap myself up in a cocoon and like not come out for a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't care about how, any of it. Any None of it. How I feel or, I mean, I don't care about how I look or anything. And I definitely just, and it's not even that I don't care. It's like, I don't have the energy. Right. I don't have the energy to shave or yeah, none of it. You know, any of those things that might make me feel sexy because first of all, that's what you're told makes you sexy. But also just like I, you know, I I just don't feel sexy. And right, so I don't feel like it. Yeah. I don't even like uh, anyone like a touch or like a closeness, like I'm just like, eh, eh. Yeah. Like, get away from me. <laughs> that's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. And I and that can like not just affect like the sex life of the relationship, but like, um, I know my partners have felt that, um, that, that, that was something wrong with them. That, yeah. Right. Like they're not, they're not desirable or you right. don't, you don't want them or you don't want to be near them or whatever. Right. Right. And it's not that it's not about my partner. It's about me, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and that's the just, thing. Yeah. I've been on both ends of that. I've been on, I've been the individual living with depression and I've also been the partner of someone like when back, I I remember a specific person back a while ago when I was younger who really struggled deeply with some deep rooted depression. And there was, I mean, I would say not just like sexual intimacy, but like 0% intimacy because like we didn't even like sit next to each other often because they felt so depressed and they wanted to be left alone and their medication too that they were taking was really was making them have no desire for physical touch or intimacy and they just kind of distanced themselves and isolated themselves which I understand from being on that side of depression like that's a very common desire and feeling Mm -hmm. but it's it's hard it's definitely a real real thing yeah and I think also you just said something that's important and that's that like you know the feel like the wanting to be isolated and everything is that is like a symptom of being of feeling depressed is that you know part of the isolation is not that you just don't feel good or not that you like don't want people around you it's more like you don't think people would want, would want to be around. Yes. You. Yes. Because you feel that like shame yeah. around your diagnosis or shame around how you're feeling. So you, you don't feel like you are, you are deserving or something. Right. 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 And like with depression comes self-loathing, yep. um, lowered sense of self and, you know, all of those feelings. And so therefore like, you know, like I know, like I would be suspect of, that my partner like what why are they with me like I'm not I don't deserve them and yeah and worried also all the time that they were going to leave me or that they were you know I would be I would get paranoid that they were cheating on me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. home right away like and which then fuels my anxiety right and paranoia yeah yeah and then they and then it was you know it would be hard on them because they were like I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a double-edged sword. Oh, for sure. You know, and yeah. 
it's complicated. I mean, and I have even felt feelings of like, I like as a partner loving someone with mental health symptoms, like I don't, I can't help them. I don't know what to do. I'm trying and I'm out of ideas. And then I feel worthless. And then it's like this cycle of like both of us feeling like garbage. Right. Uh, we don't connect in an intimate way because we both feel like trash or right. we both feel like inadequate, you know? Right. And also one of the symptoms that comes with my depression is like, I tend to gain a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And so um, then I feel, I mean, we already talked about like feeling less sexy, but I feel like the gaining the weight makes me feel worse about myself. And then I feel more depressed and it's yep. like a whole cycle. Oh girl, you are speaking my language. <laughs> that is like what I deal with on the daily is issues around that kind of stuff. It's yeah. Tough. And then like medication, right? Like the idea that like, you know, the medication that we, we take or that our loved ones are taking to help them be their best self and to literally survive some days are, you know, maybe impacting other areas of our life, like intimacy. Yes. So that is something to also, that's really important to talk about because it's something that comes up a lot. And that that decreased libido. Decreased libido. Yeah. So um, it is a common, unfortunately, a common side effect to a lot of antidepressants, medications. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a tough one because I actually, there is this comedian I tell people about him all the time because I just love this guy. He's, it's this HBO special called The Great Depression. And I'm forgetting what his name is right now, but it's called The Great Depression. And he says like, cause he talks about that. And he said like, he would, from some of the medications he took, he was, unable to become aroused. Gary Gulman. Yes. Gulman. G-A-R-Y-G-U-L-M-A-N. Yes. And he's amazing. He's hilarious. You have to watch it. And he like, I mean, he spoke, he spoke to me on so many levels. Yeah. I related so hard to everything he said. Oh God, no pun intended, but he <laughs> had a... <laughs> You're cracking me up on this. I'm sorry. I am. I am. A, I'm a seven-year-old boy. I'm like so immature. It's ridiculous. But I we, love you for mature, it. But we talk about this subject matter of all of them. Um. So anyway, they. He says like he had trouble getting aroused from his mm-hmm. medication, and he said that he would rather. I don't know. Can I say this? Have a. Sure. Have a limp dick. <laughs> I mean, we give a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Then want to kill himself. Facts. I feel like that. Something, you know. that, That is powerful, honestly. Because it's like, okay, like, I need to take this medication in order to literally, most some people will feel like literally to survive. Mm -hmm. And so like. You, you win some and you lose some here, friends. Like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, this is what we have to, to do. That's a really interesting way to put it. Thank I mean, I feel like that's what he said, but I'm not sure if it I was mean, I get what you're saying. It was something along those lines. I feel like it may, it <laughs> not may even my it, it made an impact on me. Yeah. And 
And um, so, but like also that's, that is a side effect of a lot of medications, but if that's a side effect, there are a lot of medications that are available. So I get um, a rash from like, I would get this like itchy rash from one of the, from an, one of the antidepressants. So Mm -hmm. I, so I tried another one, you know? Right. Right. There's not one medication that is like the end all be all for your symptoms. Like if intimacy or like if sex is important to you, like if that's something that, you know, you're finding yourself not taking part in as often as you used to, um, and it's impacting your intimacy, then like mention that to your doctor. If it's Mm -hmm. something that, you know, there are some people who intimacy and sex is not something that is a priority to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing that it's not impacting you in that way, then great, but it definitely, there are more options than, than just one. And maybe that medication that you are on maybe is a temporary medication, you Mm -hmm. know, to get you out of where you are at the time, like really, you know, um, and then you can reassess at a certain point, you don't to necessarily, not everybody needs to be on medication for their entire life. For sure. Um, I also have a really, an interest, this is just like tugging at my heart. Is that like, for me, with my mental health journey and also just for me in general, like intimacy is more than sex Oh yeah. for me. So like I lived with a lot of trauma and um, just like various things that have happened in my life that have caused me to lack trust or who, what has maybe caused me to not open up as much for fear of, to put it bluntly, I have a lot of abandonment issues, okay? So like, for, right. <laughs> can I get an amen yeah. from, the, from the people amen. in the back? Okay. Amen, so a lot sister. of abandonment issues. So I, I would struggle with the art, like the act of intimacy, like talking emotional connection or opening up with someone or sharing mm-hmm. vulnerable pieces of myself with someone, because I thought in my, my brain that the second I do this, that person's going to die or that person's going to leave me Mm. and I'm going to be wrecked. Mm -hmm. So I struggled with like emotional intimacy due Mm. to trauma and Mm -hmm. childhood stuff that I think is just as, just as important or common, if you will, um, for people living with mental illness, like that they may have that like intimacy fear as of past traumas. Absolutely. And I think also what goes with that is sometimes people might feel, and I know I felt this way, like they need, even if they're not feeling this way, that they need not, not feeling maybe sexual or, you know, that they need to, in order to not be abandoned, Mm -hmm. keep a relationship because they don't know how to be vulnerable. Correct or they don't know what, like for me, I mean, I think that's something that I dealt with, you know, that I didn't know how or why somebody would love me. And I, you know, would think that that was part part of what would keep somebody around me or, you know, or it's what is expected. um, Or, you know, and especially as a teen, I think like, I don't think I knew about a lot of people having sex when I was a teen, like especially early teen. 
Yeah. I mean, it wasn't part of my teenage, young teenage world either. And like, I think about the shows that I watched when I was a teen too, like where having sex as a teen was a big deal. Yeah. You know, and um, they showed like a lot of the repercussions Mm -hmm. and, um, and the, which makes it sound like, that there can be repercussions. Of course, right. There can be things that occur that are, um, t- that have a lot of responsibility, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I feel like, and I don't want to sound like my grandmother or my, you know, but oh, I grandma, like <laughs> there is a little bit of over sexualization. I don't know. No, I hear what you're saying, girl. I feel like that make, you're making sense. Like I watch these teen shows that are on and they're all having sex. Dude, I know. And I have a teenager (laughs) and I'm, and I'm watching the shows that are on now. But then I think back to like, you know, like when I was in high school, we were watching what, like One Tree Hill and like 90210, 90210, right part, like all that stuff. And yeah, Yeah, my so-called life. Yeah. That was happening. And I was like asking myself those questions like well why am I not doing that mm-hmm. right and then you get into that like whole thing well maybe I should be doing that well I think also like I you know like 90210 was the show I, mm. I about most that I was watching when I was a teenager the original ladies and gentlemen yes Thank Beverly you. Hills 90210 and, Thank you and God bless. <laughs> yes with my, with oh Luke Perry rest in peace right with Tiffany Amber Thiessen okay yeah. Luke Perry Tori Spelling. Yeah, come on. Um, and uh, Luke Perry was my first love. Um, but yes, it was, you know, like there was a big deal surrounding losing your virginity. It was like a, you know, a whole thing. And then they also showed that like you can get pregnant and what happens if you get pregnant as a teenager. And then mm-hmm. so that you, you know, also show, talked about sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah, yeah, and um, and so I I think like I was a little scared actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is is that a, a maybe not necessary? I mean, it's 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 a reality that you should be aware of, and it shouldn't just be seen as this like great romantic. I mean, it's okay. Let me go back. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. It, it I digress. should be seen as like a a, a beautiful thing between. Yeah, sex is great. It's beautiful. Yes. But it also shouldn't only be seen that way because there are things that go along with it that take that how with those things like pregnancy mm-hmm. with um, STIs like there are there's a lot of responsibility and yes responsible long term is important and I think yeah. like for for some people like I went through a, a period of my life where I had like hyper arousal. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, I, like, I don't have a bipolar diagnosis, but I, I do struggle sometimes with hypomania mm-hmm. where my, I have manic episodes, but they're mm-hmm. short. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that, like during that time, my, my arousal would be very high. And I think for some individuals who might have a, the symptom of heightened arousal may engage in not as responsible sex possibly, Mm -hmm. or they might, you know, 
I don't know. You know what I'm risky saying? Risky behaviors. Yeah, and yeah, like a risk, more risky behavior. And like, and I always am hesitant on how to talk about this because I, I, I never, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So as somebody who is, does have a bipolar diagnosis, I have had, I've experienced hypersexuality as mm -hmm. symptoms of my, my Your mania. And, but then as also as somebody who has been sexually assaulted, um, you know, there's other things that go along with it. And so I know that hypersexuality can lead to risky behaviors and situations. Yeah. I mean, but then I also worry that like, what does that sound like? Is that sound like because of this, you're putting yourself in a situation mm -hmm. for it's your fault if something bad happens? Because I, I, I want to make That's it not what you're saying. Right. Yes, that that is not the case. Yeah. Is and I think like fault. for the best, maybe the best way to say that is like your experience was this, like, mm -hmm. this is what you experienced. And I'm sure other people that have experienced similar situations, like I think of you guys know, like I'm in the, I'm in the foster parent community. So a lot of like the, the teen foster children that I have encountered or worked with have very similar behaviors because of sexual trauma, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to unpack and to talk about, or to like talk about in this eloquent way, yeah. you know, there's well, no eloquent way really to, to talk about it. I don't think. Yeah. And actually one of the things that I discovered, like through my trauma treatment that I've been doing, like I'm still working on, you know, is um, that, you know, part of when I was writing out what part of what I did in the trauma work was writing out why I think uh, the sexual assault happened and then why, what do I think is the result? Like, what do I think has it affected? And like, one of the things I was saying was that I engaged in risky sexual behaviors. And, um, and so we like had to break that down into like what the thought is and stuff. And then there was this like feeling of like that everything, I am unsafe. The world is unsafe. Mm -hmm. So why even care about safety? And that was a narrative that like you believed and that yes. you said to yourself. Okay. That's a manufactured thought, you know, and because of, you know, the trauma and it mm -hmm. I mean, all leads back to it being it's my fault that it happened, you know, which is something that, I mean, we could, we could go into that. We, we No, I mean, that's a really powerful thing. And I'm sure that yeah. a lot of people have similar thoughts and feelings around like, I'm about to sneeze and I'm going to try not to do it, but I'm going to do it. Look at the light. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that was a sneeze. No, but I'm saying like, okay, I have girlfriends or friends that I know that have experienced, you know, various formats of sexual trauma and they feel similar to feelings that you had or to other, that, that it's your fault. So they continue to engage in promiscuous behavior or risky behavior because they feel like that is just, that's it. Like that's what they are. That's who they are. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this manufactured thought for them and it's, it's complex. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely, I feel like not an easy thing to un unpack. Yeah. You're doing it and you're unpacking <laughs> that trauma. Yeah. That's a huge narrative to rewrite. Yeah. 
and it's, but it's something that's really helpful. And I think it can help, you know, a lot of people and, um, you know, in, and it can help like engaging in more healthy sexual behavior and um, levels of intimacy. Yes. And I also want to mention that like, you can define healthy sexual behavior yes. however you want to define healthy sexual behavior. Yes. So like that is something that is not like a little definition or box yes. that we can check off. Like if you are healthy and sexual with more than one partner, awesome. <laughs> if you're healthy yeah. and sexual with a monogamous partner, also awesome. Yes. Like, that is your own definition. Exactly. I think that when we talk about unhealthy is when the th- the feelings that are you're left with yeah. are shame, guilt, yep. you know, just negative feelings that are associated with it. If it feels exactly. good for you, if you feel good, then I think more power to you. <laughs> right. Or if you feel like you have that pressure to, like you have to be a sexual human being in order to fulfill or feel a certain way like that, like that's something that you might want to explore further. Yes. So what can we, is there anything else you want to talk about specifically in regards to like the person living with mental illness? I also like, like it ebbs and flows for me, like, and it has in my life. Um, like as someone living with mental illness, I have had peaks of like really great intimacy and desire and confidence in that area. And then I've had valleys where intimacy is absent. And that doesn't mean that my life is falling apart and that my relationship is at risk and that all of these things are going to like end. It's just part of my, my symptoms and part of my journey. And the thing that's been really helpful for me and my partner Mm -hmm. is communication Mm. and that like I can communicate with my partner when I'm feeling a certain way so she knows okay Carly's in a space where she's not feeling great about a certain thing so she knows that it's not like a I'm distancing from you because of something else communication is key I think yes with this this topic right and like I think that's important too that like the communication doesn't need to be at the time of it right. because I can't communicate. I, I mean, I can't, when I'm feeling the feelings, I have a lot of trouble like communicating those feelings. Yeah. So knowing like ahead of time, make maybe like making a plan or, um, you know, when I'm, when I appear this way or when you see me feeling that like looking this way or doing this or doing mm-hmm. that, like, this is what you can do to help me, or this is what I need. Yeah. Oh, and I think that that is really essential. And I think it goes both ways. Like, um, if like, you know, because I think that as somebody with mental illness, that like, if I see my partner going through something, like, even if they're having a bad day or something, and I'm in my you know, I, I feel stronger than the mm-hmm. typical person. Like, I mean, my emotions are stronger, right. Than typical, than somebody who is neurotypical. So mm-hmm. I might internalize those behaviors as like something I did or something, sure. you know, so I think it's also important to know that your partner 
like for your partner to tell you like when I'm having a bad day, like mm-hmm. need this, it's not about you. Yeah. I also hate being told it's not about me because I'm like, everything's about me. (laughs) So, and it's, it's also, I mean, my, um, my partners in the past, like some of them have preferred if I ask permission, like if I, if I see them maybe exhibiting signs of depression, or maybe I know that they're in a space where intimacy is not at their forefront, asking them like, Hey, like, can I hold your hand? Instead mm-hmm. of just like reaching over and holding their hand or saying like, Hey honey, like I want to give you a hug. Can I hug you? And seeing how they respond, like making sure that the person that is living with the symptoms at the time has the power to maybe answer, like let, let yeah. you know what they want instead of just assuming, you know, I'm going to go and hug them because I want to give them intimacy. They may not want it. Yeah. I think that's a good rule of thumb period. Yeah. Cause like, I know we have a friend, mutual friend that does not like to be hugged, especially when she's going through things. Yeah. And so my natural response, when I see somebody crying or, you know, mm-hmm. to go and give them a hug or obviously not this past year, but, um, you know, in general, I want to go comfort them. And right. so I think it's important. Also people who have experienced trauma mm-hmm. don't, or have issues with being, with being touched. So I think it's a good rule of thumb in general, but I think that just ask before you do it and you don't have to be, make it weird and be like, hello. Hi, I would like to give you a hug now. (laughs) You you don't have to be like that. Just being like, hi, like I see you're upset. Like, do you need a hug or asking them simply, can I hold your hand? Yeah. You know, I think is is really, is helpful because I agree that friend that we're talking about, like sometimes she says, no, I don't, I don't want that. And that feels good for her, you Mm -hmm. know, because the hug might really have triggered her and pissed her off Mm -hmm. and actually, in fact, like made things worse. Right. So ask, ask before you jump in for the hug, I think is important. Yeah. And, um, or the, you know, the intimate act in general, like ask your partner, is this okay with you or for you? Right. Right. And, um, yeah, I think that's just a really good point. I think, um, also something that is common in with people who have mental illness and their partners is something, a big buzzword. Ew codependency girl by I could write a book on codependency I feel like oh my god I know it's like the word of the day especially when you're in treatment like you hear that word all the time so I'm gonna give you a definition ready okay let's hear it okay wait Codependency is a term used to describe a relationship in which by being caring highly functional and helpful, one person is said to support, perpetuate, or enable a loved one's irresponsible or destructive behavior. For example, helping an inebriated spouse navigate an embarrassing situation or providing living quarters for a substance-using young adult child is said to be counterproductive, a way of forestalling recovery and actually perpetuating the problem. 
According to this way of thinking, creating emotional dist distance from the troubled loved one is necessary and beneficial to that person. It is a way to expose them to the negative consequences of their behavior. So that's kind of like a general sense that doesn't really, I, I mean, that's not necessarily like the, that can apply to any sort of relationship rather than um, with somebody living with a mental health condition specifically. But I think that, you know, oftentimes people in codependent relationships, like mm -hmm. the level of recovery or, yes. or can be hindered because one enjoys or finds value, not enjoys, right. finds value in being the caretaker. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody is recovered, then they feel like they don't have any value. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like it's so common amongst like, you know, either like intimate relationships or family relationships, mm -hmm. parents, caregivers, siblings of individuals living with mental illness, I think probably feel that too. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of codependent relationships that um, I know that like, I think like every relationship I've ever been in has been codependent. <laughs> It's common. It it's very common. common. And it's definitely, you know, a big thing to think about. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And I mean, I could talk about this subject forever. I really could. Mm -hmm. um, one, there was a quote that I saw um, recently that says, you shouldn't have to violate your own boundaries in order to maintain your relationship. So like, I thought that was really interesting because it's I like, like if you, as someone living with mental illness, feel how you feel, that is valid. Like mm -hmm. those are your boundaries. Like that is where, what, that is what you can handle at that moment in time. Those are your boundaries. If yes. you have a partner or partners that are maybe putting pressure on you or threatening to end the relationship or are doing things that feel forceful, like that is not giving, like that shouldn't urge you to say, okay, forget how I'm feeling, forget what's happening in my mind. I want to make sure my partner is happy. Yes. Because I know a lot for me, I struggle with, I don't struggle with it now anymore, but I did that feeling of like making sure my partner was happier than me all the time. Right. And I would, yeah. I would do whatever, even if I didn't want it or feel good about it, I would probably convince myself that I wanted it. And it was like yeah. yucky. It just felt yucky. So don't ever feel the need to violate your own boundaries. I, just I agree. That. And that's a form of caretaking, you know, like being the caretaker to make sure they're happy um, or, you know, that you're able to take care of them makes you feel valid too. That's like, you know, the, the shoe being on the other foot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I also just wanted to talk about, you know, I know where we've, we need to wrap up soon, but I, I do want to talk about one thing that is something that I've, you know, I'm not in a romantic relationship, but I, um, you know, I have close relationships, especially with my family. And one thing that um, I felt that 
could be beneficial to my family, it has been in ways, is education. Absolutely. About, um, mental health, mental illness, um, what I'm experiencing, because I feel like there is such a lack of knowledge that um, if they don't understand what the can what this what the what the mental illness is why it why I do the things I do why I feel the way I do then it's going to be they're going to think that I'm being dramatic right that you're like if this is wanting it Becca yeah. being a drama queen right and education so, is power for sure yeah and that's one of the things that NAMI offers we have a family yeah we have some really awesome education programs that we offer throughout the year so for free and for free and then also um I think it's really valuable to have like those people that you're intimate with join you for therapy yes yes and I I love that because I think it scares, it's scary, right? Like when you tell your partner, like, I think that we should maybe go to a counseling session together. Maybe their initial reaction is like, why? Why is everything okay? Like, why do I need to do that? Right. But I think that it's, it's really beautiful when you invite them into that intimate space so that they can learn how to love you better or how to love your relationship better and how to take care of themselves as a caretaker, like all kinds of, there's so much power, I think, in inviting your partner into a session or a few. Yeah. And even like, like doomed, you know, like that's right. like so silly to me. Exactly. And I, and like couples counseling too, is like, I, um, I think there's so much stigma, so much stigma counseling that like, First of all, it doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with your relationship. Legit. Thank you. It means that you're probably have a very healthy relationship. Yes. It's like you hear like, oh, Carly and Becca, they're in couples therapy. And you're like, oh no, like why? What's happening? Did Carly ask for a divorce? And you're like, no, Carly and Becca are actually the healthiest couple ever and are trying to just like learn how to love each other better. Exactly. I mean, in some cases, yes, it's not always of course. that way, but, but then in that, in that regard too, it's like, you know, putting in the work is means something, you know, like, I mean, you could just end a relationship, but wanting to put in the work that means something. So, um, and then also like there are groups that are designed for, um, uh, care, you know, uh, a significant others, uh, family, whatever, like for alcoholism, there's Al-Anon, Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. um, and that's for family members or loved ones of alcoholics or addicts. And, um, and I remember when I was in treatment, I was like in group and I was like, my family, like, I really want my family to go to Al-Anon. Cause I thought like, okay, then they'll learn like about my illness and like, you know, how to better like deal with it. And my, and this one woman in my group was like, you don't want your family member going <laughs> to Al-Anon because basically it teaches them how to not enable you. You know, mm. we don't really want our family members to go because but it's good. It's the able. right thing to do. Right. Right. <laughs> in order to, you know, when we're in our yeah, yeah, yeah. addiction and alcoholism state of mind, but 
right. Like, but it's, it is a really good thing for family members. It's not just like, oh, you don't understand. So you need to go. It's like, if you want to be an active member in your loved one's recovery, it's, it's something that's really healthy for you as well. Absolutely. Because yeah, we all need support and we, we all need support. support groups at NAMI as well. Which are also free. Which are also free. NAMIPhilly.org. <laughs> NAMIPhilly.org. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is a good chat. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm always, I think it's always important to have conversations like this that are otherwise more difficult to talk about or not even talk about at all, but to talk about it amongst people that you trust and, Mm -hmm. you know, in a safe space when talking about topics that you feel uncomfortable talking about, Mm -hmm. but you can always message us or ask us any questions that you have if you listen to the episode and you want to know more or have more questions, yeah, DM us on Insta at what is our, the Yana podcast at the Yana podcast on Instagram. Uh-huh. Very cool. Yeah. Well, always good to talk to you, Car. Always good to talk to you. All too, of you. Awesome. You're the best. All you awesome people out there listening to us, the millions of listeners, millions, billions, trillions, trillions, gazillions. So, uh, um, yeah, cool. See you next week. See you next week. Peace and love. Peace and love. If you or someone you know is in crisis call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Or go to nami.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone.